Four Oaks, and so we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, a very familiar passage probably for many of you. So Four Oaks, how is your Christmas season going? Um, for, the, for the two of you who read my blog, um, you know about the Gilbert family holiday tales of woe. And so, so for the rest of you, which is basically all of you, um, let, me, let me bring you up to speed. Um, our, our blue van um, was, was, um, came face-to-face with a reindeer, and I'm only slightly exaggerating when I say that. Um, Susan and the kids were, were taking a nice leisurely night drive down Bradfordville Road when a very large deer, a buck, okay, I want to say, Susan, it was a 12, 16-pointer, no, wait a minute, four, six-pointer, made its debut on the hood of our van. Now, now I'm not making this up. I really wish I were, but I'm not. Needless to say, both the deer, we, we called him um, Dasher, and our van, we call it Totaled, met their untimely demise together. So our van spent the week at Gerber Collision Repair, uh, waiting to get repossessed by the insurance company. And the deer, happy to say, is in the middle of some good old boy's truck who ostensibly stopped by to help. Okay, thank you, thank you. We know what he's having for Christmas dinner, okay? And so, of course, what made the wrecking of the blue van all the more remarkable was that it happened literally hours after I had wrecked our gold van up in Chattanooga. And now that van is still in Tennessee. It's undergoing, for its Christmas present, a $6,500 extreme van makeover, and is really excited about that. And, and I have been assured by the body shop that it will not be ready to pick up any time in this calendar year, okay? And quote-unquote, maybe sometime in 2015. So, so now, there was a time in my life, I've been here 18 years, and we've taken a lot of journeys together, Four Oaks, personal and professional and otherwise. There was a time, probably in my life, in the younger days, where I would have labeled something like this a tragedy, right? This is a, a crisis, okay, of epic, life-altering proportions. But alas, no more, because this has kind of all happened against the backdrop um, of some genuine heartache and tragedy for us. And, and I just thought I would take this time to kind of bring you into the loop. If you're, if you're not into the loop and you haven't heard what's going on with my mom, but you're our church family and we love you and we want to be able to share this with you and ask you to join with us in praying but we were in Rosemary Beach about three weeks ago for Thanksgiving, and my parents were coming down from Chattanooga. And, and while they were en route, my sister called, who, who lives in Kentucky, and just expressed some concerns because apparently my mom had recently disclosed to her that she had had a, a growing um, lump in her, in her breasts. And so after spending that time that week with my mom, we really encouraged her to go to the doctor. And so she went in, and... I just got to be honest with you, the news could not have been, from a human perspective, much, much worse. Um, the doctors indicated that, that she does have inoperable, invasive, stage four breast cancer. That's metastasized. It's spread all over her body. Um, it's in her bones and lungs and, and lymph nodes. And I, and I tell you this for a couple of reasons, so, so probably three reasons. You know, one, some of you know my mom. I mean, I'm just looking over here and, um, you know, Patty, you guys went to you know, on a Europe trip with them and Grace, and some of you know my parents, you've been here as long as we have, and, and so just 
That's one reason. Some of you just have a personal connection with her. But my mom's only 65. She's 20 years older than me and, and fairly, I mean, up to this point, inordinately healthy and active, a big outdoors person and exercise and take, took real, real good care of herself. Her mother, my grandmother, had just died a few, a few months ago at the age of 98. And we always joked with my mom that not only was she going to outlive my dad, she's going to outlive me and pretty much all the Gilbert, all the Gilbert clan. And, and so thank you for, for those who have been praying, who've sent notes and, and offered encouragement and prayers and want to continue to ask you to do that because my parents are sorting through a whole host of options and her options are very limited at this point. We do go up there at the end of, end of December to both get the van and to, and to connect with my parents and continue to, to, to serve them. Also share this with you, just so you know, this, this Christmas season, and maybe for a lot of you the same, maybe it's not what you were expecting. Um, it certainly hasn't been what, what we were expecting. Um, we have been reminded anew, as we have at other points and times in our life, that this world is pretty broken. Um, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty messed up. Um, relationships are broken, vehicles are broken, bodies are broken, and, and for a lot of us in here, our hearts are broken. And so I think some of you can relate to that. And you know, brokenness, this idea that things are not as they should, there should be. They're not, they're not the way they should be in the world. They're not the way they should be in our lives and in our hearts. This whole backdrop of brokenness really is the context for our passage this morning in Luke 1. And we're going to be in verses 26 through 38. I'm going to come back to some of these personal things in a minute. But because, you know, the people of Israel, in a lot of ways, if I, can, if I can be so bold to say this, they themselves were living under a 400-year diagnosis of being terminal spiritually. Um, remember, they, this, put yourself in their shoes. They had been deported from their homes. Moms and dads and children separated, deported as slaves in the Empire of Babylon, they returned 70 years later only to be captives in their very own land. They were under the, the thumb of the Roman Empire. They had not heard from God for 400 years. You know, and some of you may be in that place this morning. You're like, Pastor Paul, I'm well, I'm well versed in brokenness, and I just don't feel like I hear God. Um, I know he's there theologically, but experientially and in communion and fellowship, I'm just, he doesn't seem, he just seems very silent. And that was the place the Israelites were in. There was no king. There was no prophet. There was no word from the Lord, nothing. And they were a broken people looking for someone to come and fix their brokenness. And some, of, and, and some of you may not be in tune to that, and this season may be merry and bright, not white, but merry and bright, certainly. But for others of us, um, we're, we are face-to-face with that same stark reality. Lord, what will you do? What will God do? title of this message is Broken for the Broken. So let's look in Luke Chapter 1, verse 26, together. Very familiar passage. Let's just really ask that God would make this come alive in maybe a fresh way for us. 
In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Lord, um, a very familiar passage. That's why we need your Holy Spirit to make it new for us. We need you to come in to our places of brokenness and give us a word. Lord, if human ingenuity or technology or invention or entertainment, Lord, if that's all we got, we've got nothing. Um, you were the only one that can speak to these things that ill our hearts. And so, would you come in? Lord, would you, would you open the eyes of our heart? Would you give us fresh insight into this word that your, that your own word testifies and says it's sharper than any two-edged sword? And so, Lord, we, we, need, we need your word. We need you to show up in our time this morning. We ask that you would do it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Four Oaks, two points. And this message will be on the shorter side in honor of all the little people that have joined us. And all the little people said, amen to that guy, okay? Don't know what he's talking about, but amen to what he said. Two points. Jesus speaks to our brokenness, ready? Through his message and our miracle. Jesus speaks to our brokenness through his message and our miracle. Let's talk about his message. We, we've all seen the war movies. I know we got some World War II buffs in here for sure, and Saving Private Ryan, others, and it's a very familiar scene, right, where you have men off fighting in wars, and you have wives and families are at home, and there's always, isn't there not, the poignant scene in the movie where the plainclothes government type pulls up to the house in his unmarked sedan, and the wife sees him out the window, and what does she do? She begins crying. She begins sobbing because she anticipates the tragic news that this man has come to tell her that her husband or her loved one has died. Now, that's not just for the movies. Um, A lot of you know uh, Pastor Lance Olam at the Midtown Campus, and Pastor Lance's wife, Sarah, her brother died in Iraq about 2006. A lot of you may not know that. This exact scene played out for them. 
That's a family that knows brokenness. And this scene here in the text of anticipating bad news is kind of what's happening with Mary. Because look at verse 29. This angel shows up, and we understand this could be a very disconcerting thing. Whenever I walk into the 268 room and the lights are off, Bob still scares me. Okay, and if you don't know who Bob is, oh, talk to me after the service. He is this mannequin that gets put in positions all over the, the church to frighten the employees. And, and so every time I see him, I'm, I'm disconcerted. And so this, is, this guy shows up, and Mary says is greatly troubled. She tries to discern what, what he's he talking about. Okay, And for good reason, guys, you need to understand in the Old Testament, when prophets, because remember, it's been 400 years before something like this has happened. But in the, in the Old Testament, when prophets and angels showed up at your door, that was not always a good thing. Okay? Um, they often had very bad news. We can think about Noah just doing his thing, and God shows up and says, Hey, Noah, build an ark, because guess what? I'm about to obliterate mankind. Thank you. We'll see you in 40 years. Um, we think about Abraham. He's just doing his thing. Angel shows up, and these angels show up and say, hey, uh, Abraham, you've got some family down in Sodom and Gomorrah. Lots kind of have this nice retirement thing going on down there. You probably want to tell him to get out because we're about to unleash shock and awe in that place. Okay? We are going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And this is why, because we, we think if an angel showed up, that's pretty cool. Guys, this is why people were scared in the New Testament when the angel showed up. It was like being in the surgical waiting room, waiting for the doctor to come in and deliver the ominous news. A lot of you have been in that situation. I've been with some of you as you've been in that situation. And this is one of those times with Mary. What in the world is this angel going to say? And that's why, look at verse 30, the angel has to say, Mary, don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. And for folks, we just have to, I mean, again, it's like coming into the, it's like Esther coming into the, to the king's court. And is he going to extend the scepter to say, I'll speak with you, or, I'm, or, or is he going to condemn her to death? That's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a terrifying thing to come into the holy presence of God. And, and Gabriel's representing that, and he says, no, no, Mary, it's okay. I, you have found favor with God, and that's, that's Gabriel's way of saying, Mary, I've got grace for you today. I don't have bad news. I don't have judgment. In fact, I've got some amazing news. And look at verse 31. And this is, there's a lot in this little thing that he says, and so I want to kind of unpack it as we go. First of all, he says, you will conceive in your womb. We'll come to that. We'll talk about miracle. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. Now, and he's about to define what, what kind of great. I mean, is this like Elizabeth great? Remember, Elizabeth, her cousin, is going to have a baby, John the Baptist. Is this going to be Elizabeth great? He's like, no, 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 not a prophet. Mary, you're going to bear the son of the Most High. And what will bake your noodle is to think about a mother made by her own child. Folks, think about that for a second. Um, 
Mary, the, the creator of the universe, is going to inhabit your womb. This is the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David. And, and Mary, like any Jewish girl, would have immediately understood what the angel was talking about. Second, second, second Samuel 7 and Psalm 89, we don't have time to, to go there. We know okay, that she is thinking, oh my goodness, I'm going to bear the son who's going to lift, lift this oppression. I'm going to bear the son who's going to fix all of our problems. I'm going to bear the son who's going who's to take the Roman oppression away from us. This is the person who's going to fix our brokenness. And not only that, he says, but Mary, this is going to be the king over the house of Jacob, which just means Israel forever. In fact, Mary, this is going to be a kingdom that doesn't come to an end. Here for Mary was finally the Savior who was come to fix all the brokenness around her. Or so she thought. Because let me ask you a question. Brooks, if you were to take that little gray card that's in the seat in front of you and you were to write down the two or three pieces of good news that you could receive today, that you believe would radically fix your life, what would you write? What are the two or three, and for most of us, you know immediately. You know immediately. Oh, it's, it's, it's that relationship with my son or daughter. Oh, no, no. It's that, it's, it's that job situation. Or it's this financial thing that's just hanging over our family's heads. Oh, it's this, it's this marriage. It's my marriage. It's, most of us pretty easily two or three things i've told you what's on my list right <laughs> it's 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 the van two vans anyone uh two vans okay my mom and then maybe a pill that i could eat that would keep me from gaining weight the next three weeks okay kind of like that that would that would be my list what's yours here's the here's the here's the point all of us have one don't we the the things that we think if god would just do these external things all of my brokenness would fade away. But here's, here's the problem for Oaks. And, and Mary and the disciples are going to come to learn this much later in the ministry of Jesus. But when we define what's broken in our life primarily by what's going on around us or external to us, it keeps us from addressing a much more fundamental problem that you and I have. And that's what's broken internally in our hearts. Let me illustrate what I mean. About three years ago, we thought our house, this was prior van, okay? So we thought our house was falling into a gigantic sinkhole, okay? I, I can't make this stuff up. It's true. And, and, and it's not, by the way. Um, it, at least we don't think it is. But if you drive by tonight looking at Christmas lights and it's gone, you know what's happened, okay? And if we're not home, just let us know. Um, and so, but however, let's say at the time that they had said it was, your, Mr. Gilbert, your house is imminently in danger. It is going down. And the contractor, the inspector, the geologist, the, the insurance agent, all those were people, by the way, orbiting around our house for about two weeks. They said, get out now. But I said, you know, wait a minute. That's, uh, actually, guys, I'm, I think what our house really needs right now, I really need to paint the interior of our home. 
it's just driving me crazy. It's been 10 years since we painted it. Um, and, and all of you would look at me like I've lost, like you are now, like I've lost my mind. Because you would say, Paul, you know, your fixation on the external issues of your house is distracting you like from the foundational point of most importance. Your house is about to collapse on itself. And guys, let me just say this. That's the way I think we're often tempted to relate to the brokenness in our life. See, a lot of us think if we could solve every crime, and we just think about the, the, just the tragic news yesterday of the, of the two policemen killed in Brooklyn, and we, I mean, the shootings and the racial tensions, and we just think if we could just solve every crime and incarcerate every criminal or sign every peace treaty or paint over every piece of, of graffiti, or how about pay off every debt, Pick up every piece of trash. Give everyone in the world a million dollars. Guys, it wouldn't matter. We can fix all the external problems in the world, but it would do no good. And and why is that? Because you and I would just mess it up again. That's what broken people do. They, They break things. We're looking for solutions to our external problems when the whole time God wants to tell us this morning, poor oaks, there's something much more foundational that needs my grace. And it's not everything that's orbiting around you. It's what's going on inside of you. It's your heart. Folks, we're the ones that are broken. It's interesting later in Luke 22 that Jesus quotes Isaiah 53 and he applies it to himself. Look at Luke 22:37. For this now this is Jesus, he's quoting from Isaiah 53. And here's what he says about himself. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. Quote, and he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. That's from Isaiah 53. If you take Isaiah 53 and you back up a couple of verses, listen to what this passage says in full. And this is speaking about why Jesus came. And what his greatest concern was for our brokenness. Now listen to this. He says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. The broken for oaks, for the broken. What's Luke telling us? I think it's very simple. And this is such a hard lesson for us, but this is such a good lesson for us. Before King Jesus can come back one day, and when he does, he will institute the new heavens and the new earth. He will fix everything that's wrong. He will cure every ill. But before that happens, he has a more fundamental work to do in us for oaks, and that's in our hearts. Jesus had to come to put down sin and death. Folks, that's our greatest need. It's my greatest need. Are you looking for some good news to fix your brokenness? Folks, we've already received the greatest news that we could possibly receive. Jesus was broken for you, the broken. Um, We can come here and we can say, 
Because of Jesus, we have peace with God. We have forgiveness of sin. Um, We have full acceptance, a clean conscience, assurance of salvation. And that's what God wants to do in your heart and in mine. And if you're really honest, though, you might say, Pastor Paul, I know that's true theologically, but how do I make that real in my life now? Because the brokenness just clings, and it's everywhere. Second point, and we'll be done. His message, our miracle. How does the miracle in this story minister to our brokenness? As Luke tells us about one kind of miracle, the virgin birth, to prepare us for a second kind of miracle, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But let me talk about the virgin birth for just a couple of minutes. Let me use this illustration. Do you have a fam- Does your family, all the families here, do you have a family secret or trait or tradition or ritual that if anyone else outside the family were to know about, you would be embarrassed? Can anybody raise their hand on that one? Okay. Um, my kids live in perpetual fear, okay, of, of any number of things, okay, but a fear of dad walking out in the living room, say, in my plaid boxers, okay, in front of their friends, okay, which doesn't seem like a major problem to me, but nonetheless, they are utterly horrified by it, because when I was growing up, I, one of the things that I was just utterly ashamed of is that um, my dad seemed incapable of ordering food at a drive through in fact, is still incapable like asking a two-year-old to perform calculus or something. And so anyway, love you, Dad. I'm sure you're listening or whatever. Um, guys, and, and Christians, okay, can sometimes be the same way. There are some things, if we're just brutally honest and we're not in church and we can be really, really just gut-level honest with each other, there's just some things about the Christian faith that might embarrass some of us, okay? We're chagrined by them. We're culturally out of step, whether it's sexual ethics or the exclusivity of Christ or whatever it is. There are certain things that we just kind of wish, like, I kind of wish that wasn't in the Bible, okay? I'm a little embarrassed by that. And for some, particularly during the Christmas season, this family secret is the virgin birth. Guys, there is no, very few scriptural doctrines that, that receive more derision than this one. Okay, so it's, it's time, right, for the obligatory um, Discovery Channel, History Channel, tales of the nativity and poking holes in all the problems in the Gospels and all that good stuff. And, 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 and it can just make the virgin birth seem a ridiculous, absurd thing. Even Christian um, pastors and scholars, will, you will often hear them say things like, did Jesus really have to be born from a virgin? Is that is that absolutely necessary that we affirm that? Um, because it kind of just makes us look silly. How do we respond to that? Guys, if look in verses 31 and 35. Very clear that Luke goes out of his way. Now remember, guys, Luke was a doctor. Okay, you, you tracking with me so far? Okay. He understood where babies come from. Okay. And if this was something that he didn't really want to, want to mention or wanted to kind of gloss over. He does a very poor job because in this text, it mentions that Mary is a virgin three times. Okay? Luke just makes it crystal clear. This is a baby that Mary will conceive that will not have a human father. 
And, and, and there's two reasons, okay, then I'm going to relate this to our brokenness. There's two reasons why this is so important for us not to jettison. Okay, number one, it's important for us to hold on to the virgin birth because of the his, historicity and authority of Scripture. Guys, oftentimes, if Christians are at a point of saying, of going through their Bibles and saying, there are certain things I wish were here and there are certain things that I wish weren't here. Because if we begin to pick and choose what we like and what we don't like, that is a massive slippery slope. Because if you question what Luke says at this point, there is absolutely nothing to keep you from questioning Luke at another point. You can just take Luke and Acts and throw them out. Because Luke makes one thing clear. He is exploring and writing the history of the Christian church for his friend Theophilus. And if you can't trust Luke on the virgin birth, you can't trust Luke for anything. And guys, by the way, that hermeneutic, and hermeneutic just means the way that we interpret the Bible. When we employ that hermeneutic and start to say, what is it in our culture that our culture finds offensive about our faith? Let's take those things out, or let's gloss them over, or let's treat them like the crazy uncle that lives at our house that nobody wants to see. These things are embarrassing. Guys, that hermeneutic is spiritual death. Guys, absolutely crucial that we hold on to the virgin birth for the historicity and authority of Scripture. But number two, there's a theological reason that we need to hold on to the virgin birth, and it's what Luke says in verse 35. Look there. Luke says, Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overwhelm you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called, what? Holy, the Son of God. This is not a time where we're going to dive into the intricacies of the incarnation and how Jesus is 100% God and 100% man, except to say Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. And here, Luke is most concerned to impress upon you and me that if Jesus is merely a man, even a great one, even a great one, if Jesus is merely a man born to two sinful parents, what claim on divinity will he have? What makes him any different than you and me? Only God can make a divine claim for dying in our place and paying the penalty for our sin. And Luke goes out of his way here to say he had to be born a virgin. He's born of a woman, 100% man, but the Holy Spirit put him there because he is God. And he is a product, if I can say that word, or the result of a miraculous intervention here that God has put him there. He is called holy. He is separate. He is the Son of God. Guys, our salvation depends on stuff like this. Our salvation depends on stuff like this. Don't blow past this stuff. This is crucially important. So there's a historical reason. There's a theological reason. Now let me in our last couple of minutes here, explain how the miracle of the virgin birth ministers to our brokenness. Folks, I believe one of the reasons Luke goes out of his way to highlight the physical miracle of Jesus' birth 
is that he is preparing for us or preparing us later to consider the spiritual miracle of our new birth. See, there's two births Jesus is, uh, that Luke's concerned with. There's the birth of Jesus, which is miraculous, but there's your birth. There's my birth. And not just our biological birth, our spiritual birth. Guys, that's what the whole book of Acts is about, which we're studying. Miracle after supernatural, spiritual miracle after supernatural, spiritual miracle. Saul, killing Christians, saved. Gentiles, pagans, hostile to the gospel, saved. Enemies of the church, those who are lost, those who have never heard, clueless, new life in Christ, saved. Let me ask you a question, Four Oaks, because we just take this stuff for granted. Which do you think is more miraculous, that a virgin gave birth to the Son of God, or that you and me, dead sinners, have been made spiritually alive? Which of those wows you? Which of those do you think is more impressive? Because when I was up in Chattanooga two weeks ago, with, that's the van, that was the gold band incident, okay? Meeting me with my parents and going to doctor's appointments. I, I was driving around and I was seeing places that I had not seen in 20 and 25 years. And to be honest, it brought back all sorts of memories of being in high school and and not walking with the Lord, not knowing the Lord, suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. I was running my hell-bound race. I was a natural man. The gospel had not penetrated my heart. And it just reminded me anew. The reason that the external brokenness so often weighs upon me is that I forget, and Four Oaks, you forget, we all forget the spiritual miracle that God has done to fix our most foundational brokenness. When we neglect to remember and celebrate the miracle that is our spiritual life, and remember, and, and Four Oaks, we were enemies of the cross. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were natural men. We were, there was nothing in us that God said, you know what, that person's doing kind of good. Okay? He, I'm, I'm, I'm going to intervene in his life. Now, guys, we were all in our hellbound race. But God, through his sovereign grace, we could not even see the kingdom, reached down, initiated into our lives, created new life, and the spiritual miracle that he's done to address our most fundamental brokenness, it's oh so easy to forget. And so let me just offer this to you as a means of having this miracle minister to your brokenness. I know a lot of you at the end of the year like to sit around the dinner table and maybe just reflect on the blessings of the previous year how there was financial provision, or how you took that vacation, or how you did that trip, or how you received that gift, or thankful to the Lord for the health of your family. And, and by all means, folks, do that. Do that. But this year, I encourage you as your pastor to recall to mind 
the spiritual miracles that have happened every single day of the past 365. Let's, let's celebrate as a family. Remember when so-and-so was saved? Remember when that neighbor, when God did that thing? Remember that sin that you were struggling with? Remember that issue you've been working through? Let's celebrate the grace of God in our hearts and lives. Let's pray this season that God would open our eyes to His spiritual work. That the message and the miracle of the good news will become even more real. Folks, there's going to be a day when Jesus comes back and He's going to wipe every tear and He is going to fix all that's wrong and He will rule over the nations. He will fix everything that's broken out there. But in this season, let's remember that Jesus right now wants to fix what's broken in here, both for us and for our neighbors and everyone around us. Because that's what this table's about. We are remembering him who was broken for the broken. And let's let our response be Mary's when she says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word.